So tonight, as we jump into this series, we're going to play a game, okay? So here's what I need you to do. Pull out a phone, pull out a, a pad of paper in front of you, whatever. I'm going to show you some pictures of people. And all that I want you to do is I want you to, from their picture, guess how old they are and what they do. Okay, how old they are and what they do. But here's, we're, we're going to be dealing with the issue of observation. So I'm not going to leave these pictures up very long. The whole point is I want your gut reaction. How old are they and, and what do they do? Okay, so Marissa, can you put up the first picture? All right, here's our first picture. What's his name? How old is he? What does he do? Don't tell me, write it down. All right, next picture. What's his name? Just guess. What do you think? Just guess. It looks like a Brian to me. All right. Uh, how old is he? What does he do? All right. Next picture. I mean, I hope you guys can guess what she does. Uh, and then how old do you think she is? All right. Next. How old? What do you think she does? All right, next. How old? What do you think he does? All right, take the pictures away. All right, good. All right, so I want a little audience participation. I know that that was hard, but it's meant to be hard because I need to go with your gut reaction, okay? So first picture. Okay, uh, what do you think he does? Model? Student? Okay, what else? Ryder, okay, how old? 30, 27, I'm hearing a lot of stuff. All right, next picture. What do you think he does? Business? Investor? Okay, how old? Okay, all right, good. Uh, next. What, what, how old? 24? 42? She's mad at you. Uh, what do you think she does? Air Force. Okay, great. Okay, good. Um, next. How old? 45. 28. Okay, what does she do? She's a teacher. Okay, good, good. All right, last. 65. 70. What else? You said 25? He's lived a hard life. Uh, um, and what does he do? Boy Scout leader. All right. Okay, good. All right, here we go. All right, so I'm going to give you um, their ages, and I'm going to give you kind of what goes on. And then all these people actually have something in common. And so I hope you caught it while you were looking at the pictures. Did anyone notice like a pattern or, or anything they caught that was like close? Okay, so here we go. Everyone in here has something in common. First guy, he works for the U.S. Air Force. He is 24 years old. All right, next. This is Christopher. He is 40 years old, was an investor. Investor. Yep. I know, he looks young. That money's helping. All right, uh, next. This is Monica. Monica, how old? She's 43. Worked for the U.S. Air Force. How about next? 40. Okay, she's actually 58. Next. Oh, I don't know. 
just a lady. Uh, she's a she's a trickster. She can tell get like change her age. We don't know. All right, next. How how old? All right, he's seventy two. Living. All right, he's a retired vet. That's what we know. Okay, he's not a Boy Scout leader, Kyle. All right. So do you guys want to know what all of these people have in common? They're all on the FBI's most wanted list. Every single person on those pictures is on the FBI's most wanted list. Let me tell you, you guys want to know what they did? Okay. First guy, his name is Hossein Pavar. He's 24 years old, worked for the U.S. Air Force, stole U.S. intelligence secrets and sold them to Iran. Next guy, Christopher Burns, 40 years old, was an investor, started a Ponzi scheme, and has stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from innocent people. How about the next one? Monica. She obviously works for the U.S. Air Force. She's 40 years old, and she was part of that ring that stole U.S. secrets and sold them to the wonderful country of Iran. Next. Oh, Joanna. Joanna's famous. Joanna's the first woman that ever made it on the FBI's top 10 most wanted. Joanna, her profession is bank robbery. And she also escaped a prison. And when the police found her, she killed two state troopers. She is still on the run. And then finally, Alvin. Alvin looks nice. He's not so nice. Alvin murdered his ex-wife and her partner a few years ago by stabbing them to death. Now, why would we talk about this? Because today, we're talking about if we see things the way that God does. And for so many of us, we took a look at all of these people, and we began to see them for really what we wanted to see them as. We begin to see them in ways, and I think God would probably have a different perspective on some of these people. In fact, that analogy didn't come from me. It's this lady named Stephanie Chung. She did a great job. She's um, a uh, high-up executive at Wheels Up, the private aviation company. We saw this a few weeks ago. It just really stuck with me because it, what it made me realize is, is I don't really know if I have that great a vision. I don't really know if I see things the way that they actually are. And I wonder too, like, if I see myself that way. Like, I wonder if I really see myself the way that God actually sees me. Like, if I, if I really believe and think about the things that God has called me to do, do I see myself the way that God sees me? Or have I struggled with this idea of doing what God has called me to do in my life because I just don't think I measure up? I mean, how many of us have you ever dealt with this idea that you, you couldn't do or you didn't have what it takes, or you didn't have the tools necessary to do what God had called you to do? I mean, did you ever look at your life like that and go, man, I, I, don't, I don't see myself that way. Like, what factors are counting in on your decision-making process? Today, I want us to begin to learn to see ourselves in the world differently. Today, I want us to begin to see uh, not just what the physical and what the world wants us to see, but the way that God sees things. Because I believe a lot of us are kind of 
walking around in a spiritual fog in our lives that we can't quite see what is actually happening. And so I want to go to a story in the Bible. You may be familiar with it. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can open right there on your device. You can scroll to it. And if you don't have anything, don't worry. The words are on the screen for you. But we're going to look at a really famous guy in the Bible and a really famous story. If you're familiar with 1 Samuel 16, which I know so many of you probably haven't memorized, um, you know that what's going on in the story here is David is going to rise as a king. He's going to be anointed by Samuel the prophet as a king. Now, this is really early on in David's life, and David is just a shepherd at this time. He's just in the fields working. He's the youngest of his father's sons, and he doesn't really have much standing in the world. Now, there's this famous king in the Bible named King Saul, and God's blessing and anointing towards Saul has left Saul. And David is about to be called into something that I'm pretty sure he never saw himself doing. David is about to step into a call that I don't think he saw himself fulfilling. I don't think he bet that and dreamed that he would do these things, but God saw something in David and put something in David that the world didn't recognize, that the world was telling us that like, it, it doesn't matter. And so I, I want us to understand when we look at our call, there's really one of two lenses that you're going to look at your life through. You're either going to look at your life and your call by God as either being from the world and do you meet up to the world standards of what a leader is, what a mother is, what a husband is, what a wife is, what a son, what a daughter is, what a boss is? Like the world's going to try to tell you who you are. Or do you have this God-sized vision for your life and you're seeing your life the way that God sees it? And so tonight, we're going to walk in and follow this story of David's call. Because there's some really interesting things that happens in David's life in chapter 16 and 17 of 1 Samuel. And I think it's something that all of us can relate with. Because I don't know about you, but I struggle and I used to struggle a lot with my purpose. Why am I here? And when I first like, got the call to ministry and I felt called by God to come in and pastor a church and do all of these things, I thought, there's no way I can do this. Like, God, do you remember my past? Do you remember my life? Do you remember, like, I, I, I don't have a radio voice. I have a weird voice. Like, I shouldn't be a speaker. And, man, there's a lot of guys that are a lot better looking than me. And there's guys that have more hair than me. And there's guys that are skinnier than me. And there's guys that are better leaders than me. And, like, are you sure you want to call little old me? I don't think I can do this. And I don't know how many times that I almost didn't walk into God's call in my life because my vision of myself was pulling me away from it. And so let's take a look at this story. So when we get to the story, Samuel, this prophet, he hears from God and God says, like, my anointing is leaving Saul. It's actually going to go to this young man and you're going to go anoint him. And Samuel's like, if Saul finds out about this, he's going to be upset. He's going to kill me. And God's like, that's fine. Take a calf with you and say, you're going to make a sacrifice. You're going to do this. And you need to find this guy named Jesse. Jesse has all these sons. And one of his sons is the dude. And so that's exactly what happens here. So Samuel makes his way to see Jesse. And when he walks in the door, anyone ever been to a point in your life like where you walk into a room and you're like, that's the guy. 
Like if, if anyone's going to kill somebody, it's that guy. Because like, look at him, right? But here's the deal. Like Israel's in a bit of a pickle because Israel's in a war. Israel's gone into the promised land for the very first time. And they've got a lot of battles that they need to fight. And there's a lot of enemies in the promised land. And so you would think like if you're going to pick somebody, you better pick the best warrior. But remember, God has an upside down kingdom. God's not always looking for the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest. He's really looking for the most obedient. And so the Bible opens up here in Samuel chapter 16. And this is what happens when Samuel arrives in the room. Verse 6 of chapter 16. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely that's the Lord's anointed. Like, surely that's him. And he, he stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things or the, the, at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, Samuel walks in and goes, I think I'm looking for a warrior. So I'm looking for the biggest, strongest dude when I get in the house. Samuel puts on the glasses of the world and goes, hey, but let me just tell you something about God's call. The world's standards don't measure God's call. So many of us, like when we talk about the vision for our life, do you see the world? Do you see yourself the way that God sees you? Are you using the world standards to define your call? Or are you using God's standards to define a call? Like what are you using to equate why you would be called to do something? See, God doesn't view your call through what you can bring, but if you have a willing heart. See, God can do a lot with a willing heart, but God can't do a lot and doesn't want to do a lot with all of our talents. All of these things that we think we bring to the table, the Lord's like, I'm putting you in situations where your talent isn't going to fake you through this. Like, let me just tell you something. If God's call on your life, if you think it's something that you can accomplish fully, 100% in your own strength, in your own power, by your own talent, it's not a God-sized vision. God always calls us to these Big things that are so beyond us, but he, instead of looking at the talent, he looks at the heart. I mean, and this happens all over the Bible. David, we're going to find out, is the youngest. He's like a teenager. He's weak. He, he is alone in a field in this moment. What Think about Moses. Moses stutters, and God says, hey, I'm going to ask you to speak on my behalf for the nation of Israel. And God, Moses is like, I stutter, dude. I can't talk. Paul killed people. Peter denied Jesus. God definitely doesn't always pick the best, but those with a heart that will move towards him. See, because in this passage, like the reason why Samuel's looking for a warrior is because they're at war. And so he goes, oh, there he is. Eliab, that guy, he's big. God goes, no, I've rejected him. I see some things in Eliab that you don't see. I see some things in his life. I see some things in his heart. And here's the deal. Like, I don't need Eliab. See, for so many of us, your enemies are not the problems. Like, your enemies are not problems for God. Many times, it's your obedience is the problem. See, your enemies are able to be dealt with so much by God. God is not calling you to defeat the enemies that are facing you because you're so capable. 
He's calling you and going to defeat the enemies that are in your life because he is capable. So let me ask you, have you disregarded God's call in your life because you don't think you have the right stuff? Have you disregarded God's call on your life because you just you don't have the right tool set to bring to the table? And you know exactly what God has called you to do, but you say, I, you know, I'm just not the person. I mean, I feel it, and it won't go away, and this call is always here, but, you know, I'm just not, I don't have the tools necessary to do this. And God says, good, I didn't call you because of the tools that you have. I called you for the heart that you have, and I've designed a purpose for you. I have made you for this purpose. So I get to decide what goes on. And so let me ask you, what lens are you using to view the world around you right now? How do you see it? How do you see what's going on in your life? How do you see the place that you are? Maybe you're in a place right now that you just, you hate. And you're going like, how can God have a vision for my life? Do you know where I am? Do you know what I'm doing? See, the story continues here. So Samuel goes like, look, all these dudes aren't the right dude. God has said no to everybody. And Jesse's like, well, I do have one more son. David, he's young. David's, uh, where's David? He's in a field. He, he's a shepherder. He's a herder. He, he kind of, he tends to the flock, which isn't like this pristine position. You know, when you're a kid and you're old enough, like the youngest one gets the worst job, right? Because that's what goes on in life because you have this pecking order. But what happens here for David and his call is, look, David's not even there when the, when the announcement arrives. David's out in a desolate place doing something. Maybe you're in a desolate place in your life right now. Maybe you're in a part of your life and in a place in your life that nothing good comes out of those places. Nothing incredible happens from there but see the second point of the message tonight is God prepares us in the desolate places it's in the desolate places that you and I begin to grow and to find ourselves and find our lives and first Samuel the, the Bible opens up here in verse 10 it says this Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel but Samuel said to him the Lord has not chosen these so he asked Jesse are these all of the sons that you have? Like, I'm wondering if Samuel's kind of like, did I get, maybe I ate a bad burrito. I, I thought I was supposed to be here to make a sacrifice for a cow so that I could come and anoint this new king, but is this is all you got? Because God's saying no. Here it goes. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. He's in a desolate place with a bunch of smelly sheep. Yeah, the youngest, the one that nobody wants, especially for a war. No one picks the 15-year-old to fight the battle. No one picks the, the 14 or 13-year-old, the one who's been shepherding and herding sheep to be anointed. See, like, because Jesse and Samuel, they're viewing all of this through the world's eyes, and God has a different story at hand for you and I. And so what happens is, is they, they, Samuel says, well, send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. Like, we're not going to rest. We're not going to party. We're not going to do anything until he arrives. See, God uses a desolate place to prepare you. See, it was in that desolate place for David, a place where he was on his own and alone with a bunch of sheep 
in, in the middle of a wilderness and it's hot and it's tiring. And he's 14 years old and no one important is out shepherding sheep. No one goes out to the woods and goes, that's where the important guy is. Like no one walks in in a wartime and goes, hey, where's your 14-year-old son? We need to anoint a new king who's going to lead us against the Philistines. Where's your 14-year-old? I know that dude's huge, but you got like a smaller one? No one says that. But the preparation was not for Samuel and it wasn't for Jesse. The preparation and the desolation was for David. See, there's some things in suffering. There's some things in the desolate places of our life. There's some things in the wilderness that can only be learned in the wilderness. There's some, some lessons for you and I that, that you go to these places and you think like, why am I here? Surely nothing is good is going to come from this place. There's, there's no water. There's no food. This place is awful. I'm here because no one else wants to be here. That's how much everybody values me. I am given the worst job. And yet God used the desert to prepare David for the call. See, because every blessing is a curse in the wrong seasons, and so God has to do his work in your life by taking you to the desolate place. Because it's in the desolate place where you've got nothing left to hold on to but him. And so maybe some of us in this room right now, we're not sure where our call is, what God's vision is for our life because we're in a desolate place. And you've begun to believe the lie in your life that just because you're in the desolate place that God has nothing for you. If you're in the desolate place, get ready, church, because God is bringing something better. Let me tell you something. The desolate place in the economy of God is never the final destination. It's not. God is preparing you. God is using this place where he takes all of these things away from you, all of this prestige, all of this money, all of this, the, these titles that we hold so tightly to, the car badge that you need, all of those things, and he puts you into desolate places because it's there that the potter refines the clay and molds something beautiful and does something incredible. It's in the desolate place that God prepares us. See, David thought he was tending sheep, God was really teaching him to be a shepherd and a leader. See, David just thought, man, here I am with all these sheep. This is all it is. And God goes, no, 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 no. I'm teaching you to lead. I'm teaching you to watch after people. I'm teaching you how to, to, to move people and to prepare for people and to protect people. See, David thought that he was just there to protect his livelihood. When you read about David as a shepherd, he has to kill bears and lions and all of these things. And so David's like, man, I'm just out here in this desolate place. I got all these wild beasts and animals and enemies coming against me. And I'm out here on my own. And man, this is awful. And like, this place is terrible. And like, but that's how I get alive. Like, if we don't have these sheep, we don't eat. We don't live. And so David thought that he was protecting his livelihood, and God was teaching David to slay giants. It's in the desolate place that David was learning. Because David was going to face an enemy much greater and stronger than a lion or a bear. And you say, what? He was about to face the Philistines. 
one-on-one. He was about to fight for a nation. And let me tell you something. Lions and bears are nothing like a nation. But God taught him he could. God prepared him and showed him and gave him a safe place, a desolate place to prepare him. David thought he was alone. God was teaching David to rely on his presence for support. And that leadership is a lonely place without him. Being in the wilderness, being in the desolate place isn't a great place to be, but man, you look at life and you learn to rely. You learn that you're never alone. You learn that in these moments, if you're, make, if you're a leader, but by the way, like every person in here is a leader and has a call in their life to lead because leadership is influence and everybody in here has influence on somebody. But when you have to make those hard leadership decisions, when you have to do those, those things that no one really wants, like make the decision that no one wants to make, it's a lonely place to be. But then you learn in the desert, in the desolate place, the voice of God. You learn to hear the whisper and feel his presence like never before because there's nothing left. And so David just thought, I'm alone. God was saying, I am with you. And David was just young and he was the last. And what God was teaching him is that age and everything that the world tells you you are doesn't matter when it comes to the call of God. That who you are and, and, and how it works and what, what you are called to do, you can't rely on the world to tell you because it's going to lie to you. Have you ever noticed like the world, like when you do something great and you get that new car, there's always the hater? There's always the jealous person. There's always the, the one that's like, well, that's really not a big deal and that's not a good thing. And, and there's the one-uppers. You know what I'm talking about? They're not one-uppers. They're, they're drag-downers. They always got something better, and, and you learn. You have to learn to find confidence in who God is and what he's called you to do. See, Jesse and the others didn't even think of David because David didn't measure up to the world's standards. David didn't measure up to what was needed in the moment according to the world. Let me just tell you something here, church. Some of you in here, I believe I'm talking to somebody. Some of us in here are struggling with our call because the world hasn't recognized it yet. Like we're, we're struggling because we're alone in the desolate place right now and you're, you're, you're questioning everything and you're wondering what's going on but because you're in the desolate place, the world looks you by and you say like, what? why is everyone looking me by? Why can't, like, I feel like there's this call on my life but no one seems to recognize it but the world can't always recognize what God is doing. Just like we didn't recognize what the world was doing with those people. We saw something but that wasn't what it was. Don't be discouraged when you're in the desolate place and the world looks you by. They may not see you, but God is with you. And he's preparing you. And he's developing you. And he's strengthening you for what is to come. And one day the desolate place will look like a pristine paradise when you walk into what's coming. But it's there that he taught you to endure. It's there that he taught you to love. It's there that he taught you to hear his voice. It's there that he prepared you for these moments. Because let me tell you something. If you're going to do something for God, you've got an enemy who's dead set against you doing it. See, because what happens in this story is they don't even see him because David isn't 
reaching or, or going to what the world says it does. But see, in the desolate places where God's provision is, and there's always provision for purpose. There's always provision for purpose. Like God does not call you and not provide for you. And so some of us in this room, we haven't seen the provision yet. We haven't seen how God is orchestrating and working things out for us yet. And so we won't take that leap of faith and that step of faith. But you don't need to know what it is yet. You need to have the faith that it's going to be there. Anyone watch the movie Onward? You know when he walks across that endless valley? If you haven't watched it, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. But the deal is this, he's, this kid's like a a wizard, okay, or whatever. And he can set the spell that when he does it, he can walk over empty places and there'll be a step for him even though he can't see it. And the key to the step making and the key to walking is believing in the provision that's gonna be there. It's gonna be like, when I take this step, I'm gonna believe that there's gonna be something that meets me because I, I know who my God is. And I believe in all that he's done. And so you need to, in faith, step out and trust that the provision of God is going to meet you, even when it seems impossible. For Samuel, chapter 16, verse 13. So Samuel, he sees David and he goes, that's the dude. That's the kid. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, here is the provision, the spirit of the Lord was with him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. If you're going to do a God-sized thing, you're going to need the spirit of the Lord to get you through. Notice as soon as David starts to step in his call. I mean, he just got called out of a field. You're going to be the next king of Israel. You're going to defeat incredible enemies. You're going to make this nation prosper in the land. What? How? By the Spirit of the Lord. He is your provision for your purpose. And notice that as soon as the call came, the provision came. And you go, oh, well, I don't know about that. That's super spiritual, Blake. Well, God gives David on-the-job training. See, Saul is tormented by an evil spirit and he can't get any relief in his life from what is going on. And so basically Saul says like, send somebody who can help me. And Samuel's like, I know this kid, Jesse's son. I'm gonna send him. He can play the liar. Let's see if it works. So he does. Verse 19, it says this, then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep in the desolate place. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. I don't know about you, but I don't know what it's like to be a president. So I'd like to live with one for a little while before I stepped into the job. God gave David an obscure gift that was exactly what he needed to get into the presence of a king. And it is there from the desolate place that God provided and gave David on the job training to not be a flute player, but to be a king. 
And some of us right now are looking at the things in our life because we're in a desolate place. We don't seem to understand what this means. And David's like, I thought I was going to be a king, but now I'm going to play the liar for the king. I don't understand this. And some of the things that you're going through in your life right now, you don't understand because you're looking at where you are right now with the world's eyes. And the world goes, this doesn't make sense. Why would you be here playing the flute? I thought you were supposed to be the king. And if you're like most of us, you would have been like, all right, Saul. Samuel anointed me at my house to be the next king. It's time for you to move over. You play the flute for me now. But David realized in the purposes of God, by the provision of God, God provided on the job training. Some of you are in a place in your life right now where you don't understand what God has for you in the future, but you're getting on the job training right now. That maybe the thing that you, you hate the most, like I don't think Dave was like, I love to play the flute. This is my calling. But he went anyway. And it was there that he could hear in moments how kings led, how kings spoke, the decisions that kings had to make. And so God provided for David on the job training. And David didn't know how to be a king, but he had the opportunity to watch a king. What looked like to the world's eyes, a weird job, was exactly what David needed. But let me tell you something that happens for all of us when we begin to walk in God's vision for our life. There's one thing that you can expect when you walk in God's purposes. You can expect resistance. It's exactly what happens in the story here. So we go from chapter 16 to chapter 17. In chapter 17, if you have a Bible with you, you probably has a heading over it. It says, David and Goliath. As soon as David is anointed king and he said, you're going to be doing these things, the opposition of the Philistines comes. I'll tell you this, like, and we tell people in our church this all the time. If you're going to do something for God, you need to expect resistance. You need to expect that the enemy, the, the one who does not want you walking in what God has for you, is going to resist you, is going to bring things in the world that the world would look at that should discourage you to try to stop you from doing what God has for you. A great um, mentor, like, I, I, I don't know him, but Craig Rochelle, he always says this. He says it's predictable resistance. See, some of us in our life right now are experiencing resistance as you are walking towards what God has for you. And yet, you, what, you ha what God has for you, it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be. And the floodgates didn't open. You didn't start the church and 9,000 people came. You didn't start the business and the door, you had to lock the door because you ran out of supplies on day one. You didn't have a million buyers with the biggest buyout. And so some of us equate and measure God's call in our life according to the blessings of the world. And then when we aren't getting the blessings of the world, we go, well, surely this isn't the call of God. Could I contest with you that it's maybe exactly the call of God? Because God doesn't want to bless you with the world. God wants to bless you with the spirit. Why would he do that to us? And so let me ask you, like, are you equating your call in your life based upon the worldly blessings that you're experiencing? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 to 7. You want to hear the blessing that the world gives David? His name's Goliath. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. 
His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. You're like, that sounds like a lot. I'll tell you how much it is. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and, bronze, and, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So you want to know how like this moment that David enters into this life, he's going to go back to the desolate place, to the field. And Goliath shows up. The world greets David's calling with the best that the world has. You want to know how tall Goliath was? He was nine feet, nine inches. That's a big mamba jamba. (laughs) Like you can see that dude coming. Like everyone else is like five foot nothing, and there's a nine foot nine dude. And you're like, oh, are we starting an NBA team? Like, what's that? I don't know. This is scary. But not only that, let me just tell you what it was like. His armor that he wore weighed 126 pounds. His spear, the tip of the spear, it told us how much it weighed. The tip of the spear was 15 pounds. This is a dude who was built for destruction. This was the dude that the world would go, oh, yeah, this isn't even going to be a fight. And every day, Goliath would walk outside and call to the army of Israel and say, basically, send me your champion. We don't even all need to fight. Let's just, we'll fight. Whoever wins, wins. Come on, send me your best. Send me your champion and all of Israel because they didn't have the grace of the call. We're scared. And David shows up into this moment, and he, he walks in, and, and he, he meets the giant. He goes from the desolate place to the call, and it is in the desolate place that God begins to bring him into the call. It's in the resistance that God began to move him in this way. Like, all of us think that God's call in our life is paved in gold, But many times God's call in our life looks more like the road to the cross. See, here's what goes on. It was in the hindrance that the herder became a hero. Some of you need to hear that. It's in the hindrance that the herder became the hero. It was not possible in this moment for David to become the hero of the nation unless he faced a giant. And for some of us in our lives, you need to realize that there is predictable resistance. But the predictable resistance that God is going to cause you to overcome will be the opening of you walking into God's call and God's blessing. You just need to endure for just this moment. And so what happens here in in this time is we all are probably very familiar with the story. We're going to skip on ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 48 to 51. It says this, as the Philistine moved closer, this is Goliath. To attack him, David, David ran quickly. And you're like, I would too. I'd run the opposite direction. No, David ran towards him. Because of all the training in the desolate place, all the lions and the bears and all of the things that David faced in the desolate place, David knew exactly what he needed to do. And he ran towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. 
the stone sank into the forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. With a sling and a stone, the weapon he used to wield in the desolate place. He killed the giant of a nation. And he killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. The world's best doesn't stand a chance against God's anointed. The world's best doesn't stand a chance against you in your call and in your purpose and in God's vision for you. But let me ask you a question. How are you viewing the hindrance? How are you viewing the resistance? Are you viewing it as God saying, that's not for you? You have to look at what kind of resistance you're experiencing. Is it worldly resistance or godly resistance? Godly resistance looks a lot like conviction. This is not right. You're going about this the world's way, but the world's way looks a lot like inconvenience, frustration, anger, big enemies, big things that you are going to need to face. And yet, we know this. When David killed Goliath, we know this. Call conquers capacity. See, so many of us look at our life and go, there's no way I could kill a Goliath. Nine foot nine, 126 pounds of armor, a 15-pound spearhead, there is no way that I can do this. And the Lord goes, I know, I know. But I trained you in the desolate place. I prepared you in the desolate place. And what you thought was suffering was my provision, was my protection, was my anointing and my preparation. And you are ready for this battle. And some of us, like in this room right now, like your marriage is a war. What did God teach you in the desolate place? How to persevere, how to endure, how to love those who can't quite love you back. Maybe with your kids, you're in a desolate place and your call is to be incredible godly parents, but you have just lost it. And you're like, I don't, maybe you didn't call me to be a parent because my kids are so rebellious. Like, I don't know what to do. And maybe you didn't think you were called to that job or that business because like, it's been really hard. Or maybe you're in this room and you're single. And you're just like in this desolate place. And you're like, well, I don't want to be alone. And God goes like, where I I taught you to, to know me and to seek me and to find me and to find your joy in me and not in people. I've prepared you. See, because a lot of us, the things that we're facing in our life, we don't have the capacity to conquer. But he does. Because in our weakness, he has shown strong. And God always provides for his purpose. And so he'll always, the call will always conquer capacity. You may be facing some impossible odds in your life. And God's vision for your life is a little bit blurry because you're looking at the world's obstacles as God's obstacles. And they're not. The world's obstacles are things to be overcome in Jesus Christ. And so what happens here in this moment is we see that David, he, he defeats this incredible leader that no one else had the guts to deal with, that no one else had, had the ability to, to do this. And, and what David does is he immediately runs and cut off the head of his greatest enemy. 
And he holds it up in victory in the power and the strength of the Lord. And then the entire Philistine army turns and tucks tail and runs. In Israel, they're punks. They run right after him for miles. And David goes back to his tent carrying the head of the severed giant. And Saul looks on from his palace where the kings reside and goes, who's that boy? Who's that boy? His servant goes, I'll find out. (laughs) He cut that dude's head off. So like he won. He's a hero. He's a hero. And see, what happened is, is when David said yes to God's call, not because he was prepared, not because he had everything in his life that made him this warrior. He wasn't nine foot ten. He wasn't a warrior. He was a shepherder. He was a herder. When David won that victory, there is no doubt how he won. And some of us in here are facing impossible odds in our life, in our families, in our marriages, in our finances, and all of these things. And you are facing giants in this world and you're losing God's vision and call for your life because you're looking at all the world brings. And God says, I have a better picture for you. I have a better vision for you because all of the things meant to kill you, I mean to prosper you. And one day you will look back and you will see who I am and how I have never left you for a single day of your life. And some of us need to remember and have those moments in our life where we remember the heads of giants that have been severed in our life before to believe God for the victory ahead. And if you don't have any, borrow somebody else's. Borrow David's. The Lord took a middle-aged teenage boy and killed a giant and saved a nation who had then become king, who was a shepherder in a desolate place for the majority of his life. Why? Why? Christian, non-Christian, just look at me for just a second. Why do you believe that that was for them and not for you? Look at me. Why? Why are you believing that that was for them and for, for, for then? And it's not now and it's not for you. Why would God put that story in the Bible if it wasn't for us? To not go, man, we are kings and we are all these things, but to go, we are weak, but he is strong and he is able. And I am suffering in this desolate place and Christianity is harder than I thought it was gonna be. And this call you put on my life, man, it's harder than I thought it was gonna be. And God goes, I know, but I did it for David. I did it for Moses. I did it for Abraham. I did it for Isaac. I did it for Jacob. I did it for all of these. Why not for you? You're part of the family. You're in the heritage. You're in the bloodline. Why do you believe that God does not provide for his sons and daughters now like he did then? How are you viewing your problems? How are you viewing your call? How are you viewing that person that God has been telling you? Like, you need to tell them about me. You need to tell them about your wounds in the desolate place and how hard it was because they need to hear your victory story. And you don't need to hide in shame anymore. I won the victory and you celebrate in it. And here's what happens at the end of the story as we get ready to be done. 
when you walk in God's call, and God's call and God's provision and God's protection and God's anointing falls on you, all of a something, all of a sudden something incredible happens. Chapter 17, verses 57 and 58. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. When you walk in God's call, the world will not recognize you. But when you have completed it, they will truly see you. You will be truly seen. And not for your glory, but for his. That is God's anointed. David, remember, we just told the story was the shepherd boy who went and played the flute for the king. The king saw David through the world's eyes, not through God's. And so when the boy shows up, he doesn't even recognize him. You ever seen somebody like that? You saw them one way their whole life, and then they show up in this new way, and who are you? You're Blake? Blake Harkup, that fat chubby kid from middle school? You're that guy? Yeah, I'm still a little fat and chubby, but yeah, I'm him. You're different than I thought. You're a Christian now? I am. You lead a church now? I do. How? By God. My life was on the world's trajectory for a very long time. According to the world, I should not be here. Thanks be to God, he had a different plan a different purpose, a different call, and I'm still learning to work it out. See, so many times you do not need to become overwhelmed because the world just can't see what God's doing. But they don't need to recognize what God is doing in you for God to affirm you. And I hope that you're in this room today as Cody comes up and you're affirmed. You are called to be that incredible parent you are called to be that different kind of business owner that does it the right way that treats their employees the right way you are called to be that incredible spouse even though it's so hard right now you are called to be in ministry you are called to go reach that person you are called to go on that missions trip you are called to be part of building god's kingdom in this city you are called and no matter what the world tells you right now, you cannot use the world's lens to define God's call on your life.